You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Once upon a time, it was expected that you would get married, buy a house and settle down to have a family. And while these expectations still exist, women today have a greater choice over whether they'll have children or not. Gina Rushton always believed she would choose to live her life without kids of her own. But a medical emergency made her stop and consider that choice in a way she hadn't before. As a journalist, she decided to do her research and her book, The Most Important Job in the World, is the result of all that work. Gina, welcome to Feed, Play, Love. Thanks for having me. Do you think you would have investigated motherhood in the way that you have in this book had you not had that experience where you went to hospital and everything was straight up in your face all of a sudden? Definitely not. I think fertility is something that we can, for a certain period of our life, ignore. <laughs> and I think it just threw it into sharp you know, focus for me. How old were you when you had that emergency? I think I was 27, maybe. So I ended up sort of in debilitating pain and ended up in the emergency ward where they did an ultrasound and said, basically, you're bleeding out of your uterus into your pelvic cavity. Your ovary is dead, is the term they used. Right. Um, Which, you know, you don't have to report on reproductive health for a living as I was to know that that might affect fertility. Um, And they said, we've got to go in, we've got to cut out the ovary. We'll talk about fertility later. Uh, And I was really upset. And obviously I was surprised that I was upset. But in the end, the ovary was alive (laughs) and they found endometriosis, which obviously still had fertility implications. So 27 is still quite young, but you are heading into that period of your life where, in my experience anyway, that was when people started asking you about babies and if you were thinking about it, particularly or more especially if you were in a partnership with someone, which you were Mm. at the time. Had anyone started chatting to you about it before then, you know, family or friends kind of putting that subtle pressure on you? Yeah, I, I, they'd been, they'd def, I think you sort of get, get to an age and people start making comments and also just your friends start realising they want kids and I hadn't had that realisation. I was very firm that I didn't want kids. So, yeah, I mean, I think everyone sort of, there are all, there's always the family member who's smugly tapping the wrist on their invisible <laughs> biological clock. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That surprised me. I'm not sure how it made you feel. Mm. But I, in my late 20s, found it surprising that that pressure still existed for young women. Mm. And it wasn't, I wasn't considering anything about my fertility at that time either because mm. really your fertility doesn't drop until over Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting that that pressure still exists in that age group. Yeah. Um, Had you ever talked to your friends, your peers about, you know, whether motherhood was right for them or if they were looking at it and thinking about it? Yeah, everyone was kind of, it's funny, like it's sort of, you you don't have those conversations and then they're the only conversations you seem to have for a few years. Like I'm I'm now, next month I'm turning 30 and now I'm at the stage where And I'm quite young in my friendship group, like everyone's a little bit older and it's like everyone's kind of obsessed with it. And we're also at that point where, you know, you get a new new IUD, 
you've just committed to five more years of not having kids, you know. So it's kind of like everyone's doing that little calculation like, oh, I guess I'll be 32 when that comes out. Um, so there's that conversation as well. <laughs> so interesting. And you just, you mentioned earlier that you had been reporting on reproductive rights yeah. for a long time. Yeah. How did that impact your attitude to motherhood? I think it's funny because it's the, it's the very, in many ways the book is sort of for everyone, but that is the unique baggage, I guess, that I bring to, to the question, which is that I'd spent four years really engaged with many different forces, political and religious and lobby groups and whatever, who are really interested in coercing people into parenthood. And they think that that is what women should be doing to their body, with their bodies. And I think it, it really, it was hard for me to watch. And obviously I never spoke about it at the time because that's not journalism to, to offer these perspectives. But it was really hard watching politicians who were so hell-bent on women becoming mothers and they were always the same politicians who didn't support policies that made motherhood possible for a lot of people. Um, so that really, um, yeah, played into my decision, I guess. Because that was about women being told what they could and couldn't do, but then you also saw how hard it was if yeah. they were forced into that position. Yeah, absolutely. And without the social support they needed or financial support or, you know, even stuff like funding for domestic violence services, like that all plays into family planning in, in ways that I, yeah, wrote a lot about. And also the question of how feminism influences your choices when mm. it comes to motherhood's interesting. You and I are of different generations, um, but I grew up at a time where I was told I could be and do and have anything, mm. but parenthood wasn't top of that list. So mm. it was still somewhere in the background, but I was definitely in that phase or in that generation where we were encouraged to think we could have it all. Mm. Uh, and if not, then you'd do it all without the kids. Yeah. Yeah. What was feminist, what was the influence of that kind of feminism on you and your approach to parenthood? Yeah, so I started my first full-time job right at like the height of lean-in feminism. Like that book had just come out. Everyone was like totally like be a man in the workplace and like and it was a really it was actually really anti-maternal feminism. Like it was just it really valued the workplace as the site of fulfillment and freedom and liberation and it was very much like um, it really degraded motherhood. Like it, it made it out to be kind of daggy and um, almost like a concession or, yeah, like you'd given in in a way. And, and it was really um, anti-maternal. And I think that I'd, I'd absorb, I absorbed it initially. It didn't take me too long to figure out that it was all kind of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I definitely think, yeah, my feminism has evolved so much past that into kind of well, why are we trying to become men in the workplace and why doesn't isn't the workplace actually set up for mothers? Um, so, yeah, that was a journey. <laughs> well, part of that um, discussion is also when you think about it, it's about the workplace and how if you don't behave like a man and if you aren't anti-parenthood or motherhood, mm -hmm. that your career will be impacted. Yep. And even without that philosophy, we know that, women do suffer career setbacks mm -hmm. from having kids. 
And your work was very, you're very passionate and are very passionate about mm. your work. Yeah. So in amongst all of that, was that also in your head thinking, well, I, I don't want to have kids because there's nothing here that will say I can keep going with my career. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we're all really aware of how parenthood interrupts your career trajectory. Obviously women more than most people. Um, and I think, um, for millennials in particular, there's like this real meshing of identity in the workplace. Like this is the side of meaning making. And so parenthood feels like not just like, even if it's a voluntary or temporary pause, we know that it's always going to affect it long term. And so it feels like a really big decision to abandon that place where you find um, identity and fulfillment. And so I think part of this has been, you know, because people say like, well, if not kids, then what? And the only narrative we're really acceptable narrative in kind of like pop culture is like, well, a career, like go out and be a girl boss. And I think part of the book was also me kind of realising I can't be bothered to be a girl boss either. Like (laughs) what if I don't want either of them? Like what if I want to find meaning in my life in all these different ways that aren't, you know, career obsessed or completely family obsessed, you know, keeping in mind that I think we've all realised that having it all thing is kind of bullshit. A hundred percent. It's so fascinating that um, these were all the places you went mm. in this exploration because I think when I came to this book, I was definitely thinking, oh, I wish someone had done this before I had kids. But then, Gina, I don't know that you answer the question no. for, your, <laughs> for yourself or for anyone because ultimately uh, – I think you came to the conclusion, more or less, in a much more sophisticated way than I did, which was basically, I sat down and I had all these reasons in my head why I knew parenthood would be hard and I Mm. knew how much it would change my life. I never had like a rose-coloured view of what parenting would be. Yeah. And yet, when I sat down and tried to do the pros and cons, the only thing I could come up with was, well, I can't say... I don't want kids and I can't say I do want kids, Mm. but if I don't have kids, that is the ultimate answer to this. Like I will never know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, children, my children, if you ever listen to this. (laughs) That that was basically where I got to. Yeah. I was in a secure and loving relationship. Mm -hmm. We, um, he definitely wanted kids. I was like, yeah, okay. And then my sister had a baby and I got all clucky and then it just happened. Mm. Mm. So in some ways I wasn't consciously walking into it as you have laid out in this book. Yeah. But ultimately, how do you make a decision even when you investigate? Well, the thing is, is that I approached, I mean, the book makes kind of a mockery of itself, really, because like <laughs> I, I came kind of like marching, being like, well, I'm just going to write my way through it. And here is like, and I think that I came in honestly thinking that the biggest deciding factors in this for me were these big kind of like climate change and career and these bigger kind of rational concepts that I thought were going to really make the decision. And like, the truth is that it's an extremely emotional decision and the book becomes increasingly more (laughs) emotional till the end. Um, And I think that what ended up happening was I sort of came into it with this really sort of like sooky millennial (laughs) angst where I was like, well, the world's ending and like, why would I want kids? And, And really, like, I think that by the end of it, I thought like, I have a lot of it's really about how I feel about myself and how I feel about my relationships. And those are the things that are going to factor into this more. So I agree that I never, I don't, <laughs> anyone picking it up and thinking it's going to solve it for them, 
I don't think it will, but I do think that it was an exercise in asking yourself better questions and being a bit more honest with yourself about what is actually a deciding factor and what kind of maybe isn't. And the climate change element is so interesting mm. because while it's definitely on my radar, it wasn't something that worried me about parenthood. Yeah. Um, but I do think that's very different for your generation, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, has the conversation around that issue in particular changed for you with your friends since yes, writing the book? Completely. And the funny thing is, so I did, I think 30 interviews made it into the book, but I did about 40. And climate change came up, honestly, and I think almost every single one, like even for the chapters, that, for other chapters, it is something that is on everyone's mind. And I think what's changed in the conversation is when we were a bit younger, and I honestly think it coincides with that era of leaning feminism where everything's about the individual and it's not about anything structural, where we thought, well, we can't have kids because we're adding another carbon footprint to the world. And it was all of this like personal guilt and making individuals responsible for something that other people have a lot more power to change, namely governments and businesses. And I think what's changed in that conversation is that there's definitely less guilt about having kids or the size of families which I think is really good because I don't think that that guilt should have ever sat with mums in the first place. Um, and I also think that it's moved into a kind of um, obviously a despair. Like there is despair about the world we're leaving behind for the next generation and the increase of, um, you know, natural disasters and stuff. But I also think there's a real anger and that I've seen that shift over the past few years in my friends who are all having kids and taking them along to marches and getting really mad in a way that feels more productive than guilt. I'm curious to know amongst your friends if anyone had the idea that motherhood is the ultimate fulfilment in life. Mm. Because as you mentioned, it, this, is, this book is kind of an exploration as well of meaning. Like how do you mm. make meaning out of your life? Is it your family or your work or your um, or something else, something creative. Yeah. And I feel in my generation, there was a lot of, a lot of unspoken belief mm. that this was true, mm. that if you don't choose to have children, then what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I always found that a bit curious because I just think there's many choices you can make in life. Yeah. Do you find that any of your peers have had that ideal in their head or that belief in their minds that to make meaning out of life, you must have children? I don't think so. In fact, I would actually say I feel like this, that the simplicity of that idea, I've actually come across more in male friends, like that, 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 that idea of like legacy and um, yeah, that that's the thing you do in a funny way. Whereas I think that what many of the women I know who are having kids are coming up against is they don't believe intellectually that their whole identity has to be tied to motherhood and that that's the one thing they were put here to do and that's the most meaningful thing in their life. Although I do think for some of it, it is the most meaningful thing in their life. But I think that um, there is a, a, it's sort of like an internalised archetype of a mother that you don't realise you're even having to come up against until you do it, which is that like the idea that a mother can, can't have her own needs and can't be, I don't know, angry or like has to be selfless and without temper and like not 
want time away from her children. It's 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 more about I I'm seeing them more come up against the idea that they didn't even know that they'd internalized about what a mother should be or how a mother should be. I guess it's just guilt. <laughs> it <laughs> really. is guilt. But you, you've definitely tapped into something there because yeah. my own experience of parenthood and I do a parenting podcast, yeah. so I talk about this stuff all the time, and yet I still have to catch myself mm. from thinking, oh, yeah, no. I mean, there's the natural inclination to put your children first. Of course, yeah. But then aside from that, there is a very strong internalized feeling that, as you mentioned, Mm. this archetype that, okay, this is what it is to be a parent. I don't sit down until everyone else is in bed or I don't eat my meal until everybody has their food in front of them. And it is a Mm. very strong and interesting thing. Yeah. Given you can have perspective and still feel it. Absolutely. And the the thing is, it's of course an impossible idea. Like no one can ever fulfill it. So if you're not fulfilling it, you're immediately a bad mum in your own. Yes, 100%. (laughs) It doesn't really work. It's kind of like uh, during the lockdown when Mm. they were talking about homeschooling and parents working from home and nobody seemed to actually come out and say, that is physically impossible. Like you would never say drive a truck and -hmm. also teach your child maths. Absolutely. It was just an impossible scenario. But when it comes to parenthood and motherhood in particular, it's like, Oh, we'll just ignore that and you won't notice. Yeah. No, <laughs> like, absolutely. Hold on, this is not working. I remember seeing at the time, I think it was the New York Times, they had a scream line for mums and women were just <laughs> cut, calling up and like yelling and like, and while homeschooling their kids. And I thought that there should be more coverage of this. Like, this is the <laughs> I know. I w- Damn, why didn't I know about that line? Um, and so, where do you find yourself now, Gina, mm. having written the book? Just about to turn 30, you are still very young. Yes. Where do you find yourself now with this discussion? And also, where is your partner with all, <laughs> with all of this, <laughs> given you've written a whole book about it? I know. It's a very funny thing where we sort of hadn't really, sp- <laughs> hadn't really spoken about. Here, we haven't had a conversation <laughs> yet, but here, here's a book. But basically, <laughs> that's what happened. If you look at the acknowledgements, the last one says, it's to my partner, and it says like, um, thank you for letting me have this conversation with myself before I had it with you. Like I really <laughs> did need to just go and have a little think about this. I think, look, I'm still really on the fence, which isn't satisfying. I was saying to my publicist, it would be great if I got pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did think, yeah. I was like, I wonder, you know, sometimes it takes a while to write a book, yeah. so maybe. Um, but I think that, uh, this is probably a boring answer, but I think that my re no matter where I land now, my reasons feel a lot clearer to me now and they're very different from when I start when I started the book. Well, I must say, for someone who felt slightly like they were sleepwalking into it, I <laughs> congratulate you on all of the research. It's a fantastic book. Thank you. And I'm very impressed with your ability to reflect before <laughs> maybe starting this journey. Please come and see me if you do fall pregnant. Yes. I would love to have that conversation again. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Gina, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. That's Gina Rushton. She's a journalist and the author of The Most Important Job in the World. I'll put links to where you can find the book in the notes of this episode. I'm Siobhan Hunt. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us so we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, send your email to feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au.
See you next time. <laughs>